Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, and we don't actually have Sharon and Becky. We have Bill and Becky again. My husband was with me last week as our as my co-host, and he did such a great job. I thought I just better have him back again today. Hi, Bill. Hi, and well, hello, Sharon. I know you're out there somewhere. We miss you. <laughs> So I am a five-time cancer um, survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And by the book, by the book, hello, by the way, my book just came out recently on on audio uh, format through Audibles, and 10% of all my net sales will be given to breast friends as a donation. So, um, and Sharon is still on vacation this month, and it's just so much more fun to have a co-host with me. So our guest today is Ross Swozy. Now I'm going to remember that because our dog is Swayze. So it's a very simple connection for me to, to remember his name. Ross is a disabled vet and I really want to hear that story. He's also a cancer survivor. He's owner of a fitness center and the author of his, his upcoming book, Cancer, It's Not a Death Sentence. Now I know for some people that is a very controversial title. And I read the little part of it in his book where he talks about that, and I love the approach that he has on it. So st- stick with us to the end because I'm going to have Ross explain that because for some people, it feels very much like a death sentence. And, you know, if you just lost a mother, a sister, a wife, you know, anybody to this disease, or if you yourself are fighting, you know, stage four metastatic, um, it can feel and maybe it will be um, very much like that. But Ross has a real cool approach to this, and I can't wait to hear more about it. So uh, today, though, we're going to mostly talk about understanding your personal capacity, and I'm very anxious to hear what that's about. So please welcome Ross Swozy. Hi, Ross. Hi, Ross. Good morning to both of you. I appreciate your invitation to come on the show and all your efforts for the cancer community out there. Your uh, message is uh, very well taken, and we all appreciate everything you're trying to accomplish. Oh, thank you so much. And your story is pretty, pretty powerful, too. And, you know, we had a chance to visit this morning for a few minutes before we went live. And, you know, Ross is a, is a cancer survivor, but there's so much more to his story than that. And we talked about how long it took him to come up with his book, but sometimes you have to wait for all the pieces to fall into place. And, you know, God has a purpose for all of us and his purpose is bigger than just being a cancer survivor. So um, we're going to get to that. So, but before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, talk about your family, how long you've been married, and then let's talk a little bit about your your disability and what that was about. So go for it. Uh, from originally Buffalo, New York, and uh, joined the uh, U.S. Air Force uh, when I was 18 years old, and I was <clears throat> I was stationed in England, where I met my wife Karina. Uh, I was an aircraft mechanic, and shortly after uh, my tour in England, uh, which uh, gave me the opportunity to <clears throat> learn a little bit about. Um, being uh, on uh, the terms of a different country and the culture, uh, came back to the United States and I was stationed in Phoenix, Arizona, and I've uh, resided uh, most of my adult life uh, here since 1988. And uh, Karina and I, we've been married about 30 years, 31 years now. Um, And uh, we have two wonderful boys. Uh, Both of us uh, have made a choice in our life to uh, raise our, our children and be around them every single day. So our life kind of took a, a, a different direction where we wanted to uh, quit corporate America. And we decided to open up a fitness facility uh, in 2002. And I have a, um, a long standing history in, in fitness, uh, been a bodybuilder most of my life. And Karina also, during our 30s, we uh, competed uh, together uh, as a couple in uh, bodybuilding. And That's cool. 
it, it was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, we have a lot of a lot of uh, great experiences in our life, and we uh, we decided to do something different that our parents didn't do for us to be there every day, and it was important to be um, a uh, a present parent every single day. So it gave us a great opportunity to have a united family, and we built a, uh, a great business in a, a really nice mountain community outside of Phoenix, Arizona, called Fountain Hills. And we uh, we work with our, uh, our our members every single day. It's a, a very life changing experience, and we've explored the aspect of working with people to change their physique and to uh, mentally guide them into uh, having a peaceful life. And it's really been a great enlightening experience. So uh, currently, uh, we're still operating the fitness facility, and both of our uh, sons are involved in the industry in different ways. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been a great journey. Well, you know, it's a big deal to go from, you know, working on your own personal fitness you know, path to actually starting a business. Uh, what what prompted you to actually want to start the business? And is it just because of the family situation? And or was there more to that story? Well, there's a lot more to that story. We felt that uh, we had a, a a way to have a active contribution to our community, and there was a void that needed to be addressed in our community for fitness and health and wellness. And we felt that our passion was there and it, it, it really made uh, a successful opportunity for us when you have a passion in uh, any particular field that it kind of works very well. So the success went along with the passion. And as you know, some days aren't always the best day, but if you really like what you're doing, it's not bad going in and working and doing it. <laughs> That's true. What is it that they say? If you love what you're doing enough that you do it for free, then you're in the right job. And when you can get paid to do it, even better, right? That's great. <laughs> That's good. Well, Ross, you know, you, um, the title of your episode today is Understanding Your Personal Capacity. And when I read that title, I thought, well, what could that possibly mean? And so I kind of put my own take on that, but I'm not going to share my take on it. I want to hear your take on it. So what do you what does that mean to you? Well, it, all of all of my life, uh, I've tried to promote health and wellness and uh, sculpting your body. And to sculpt your body, you have to have a very strong mindset. But when you t- have a take on personal capacity, there's three different approaches on personal capacity, productivity, psych- psychology and physiology. So if you were to examine each three of those portions, it's, it's a, essentially a mindset on how to uh, systematically get through a task. And I thought it was important to break that down when you're going through cancer treatment, that there is more than just trying to fight for your life, but you really do have um, a lot more to your life than just fighting for cancer. And a lot of people forget about their life, their lifestyle, their family, um, what their purpose is here. And they don't understand that their personal capacity or what the limits of their personal capacity are until they really sit down and examine that. And I, I felt that when I put the words together for the book, it was important to explain to a lot of the other cancer patients and survivors that if you were to come up with a a plan, a personal plan of what your life really encompasses, both uh, lifestyle, family, uh, religion, financial, if you put all of that together, uh, you could have a really nice experience when you're going through cancer treatment. It doesn't necessarily need to be on hold and you could still positively get through cancer treatment in a very different way. Yeah, that's true. So let me ask you, I want to kind of go back even before this. Um, as a disabled combat vet, uh, which is part of your your personal bio that, that I read about, so did that play a role in, in developing this personal capacity? And, and may I ask about that, what happened and you why may. are you... 
Okay, uh, so that means you'll answer it if I ask. <laughs> certainly, I, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, portion of my disability, but the strongest uh, disability that I've suffered from is PTSD. And during my involvement, uh, I was involved with a, uh, a combat mission that uh, really affected me. I was an aircraft mechanic and uh, it, it really changed the behavior of the way I uh, interact day in and day out. And I tried to learn um, about my behavior in a, various different ways, but most importantly, it was a, a learning experience that also enhanced the approach that I took when I was going through cancer treatment. So I tried to turn a disability into a positive. And I think the approach of going through cancer treatment was really a, a, a life learning lesson for me. This, uh, this is Bill. Ross, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for your service. Um, uh, I know that uh, here in Oregon, we have many, many people who have uh, suffered PTSD, and uh, it has a profound impact on not just their life, but the lives of their families. And what I really like about what you're sharing with us right now is that so many of the people that will be listening to you and Becky today, um, they know someone who's gone through this, and it doesn't have to come just from combat. It can be life experiences in our society, and it has a profound impact on what they're doing. But it's a battle, and it sounds like you found a way through physical fitness to battle back, and, and I think that's a great thing that we're onto here is that um, it, whether it's cancer or one of these um, obstacles that we have to overcome in life, physical fitness and the training that you've put your own body, mind, and, and as you said, uh, the, the psychology and the, and the physiology um, of your life as a way to uh, combat the, and overcome any obstacles you have. I think that's great. And, uh, and, and that your family's involved too. That's an added strength. Yeah, it is. I think that's, that's great. Unfortunately, Bill, the, uh, the difficult part about our process is my entire family had no choice on how we approach this. So, <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> we, sounds like you guys had your minds made up on what you were going to do. <laughs> right. And I, I, we really didn't talk about this yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll open up the door right now that um, I, not only did I uh, suffer from uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but my, my wife also suffered from cervical cancer and my oldest son uh, also recently uh, a few years ago completed treatment for leukemia so we have a very uh, interesting story that um, most people don't really understand and our approach to get through all of our treatments were extremely unique but we we had the same uh, philosophy of what we were trying to accomplish and the, the ultimate goal is survival, um, like most of us, but you don't necessarily know how to get to that point. Right. And, it's, and there's really no, um, no book you can open up, um, a, uh, uh, like, for example, a uh, Cancer Survival for Dummies book and go to page 13 and it can illustrate <laughs> how to overcome that obstacle for the day. Sounds like a good idea, though, doesn't it? There might not be that book, but someone should write it. <laughs> well, I, I think I did. I think I, <laughs> uh, that was my goal. My goal was to um, pass our experiences on to the next individual. And maybe if you were to read the book, you could learn one thing. And that was my goal. If you could read a book that has 160 pages and learn one thing that could change your life or give you a better experience, I've accomplished my mission. That's really what uh, the purpose of the book was to do. And I, I wanted to go into this with the intent of um, positive information uh, and share our experience and our obstacles and what we've done incorrectly to prevent the next person from making the same mistake. Oh, I think that, I, I mean, I, I, you sent me a copy of your book, and I'm really excited about that. Thank you very much. And and I will kind of pick my way through it. It's just hard to sit down and read a book all in one sitting for me because there's just so many things going on in my life at the moment. Sure. But but I did kind of go through and, and pick out some parts I wanted to read 
before we went on on the interview today. Well, listen, I wanted to get to your story about when you got diagnosed, but we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear your story first. I want to hear about how and when you realized you had cancer. How did you discover that? You're going to tell us about your diagnosis. And then I really want to hear about what happened to you during the waiting period. So stay tuned with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Ross Swosey about understanding our personal capacity. And Ross, just before we went out to break, um, I wanted to ask you about how and when did you realize you had cancer? And I am curious to know if the um, if your fitness facility, was that opened before your cancer diagnosis or after? So why don't you go through that process? You know, when, how and when did you realize you had cancer? Sure. Thank you for the question. We uh, we originally opened our uh, fitness facility in 2002, and we quickly outgrew it. Uh, we made a decision that the best uh, choice for our community was to expand, and we had a, a construction project for a ground-up building uh, that started in 2005, and we were to occupy it in 2007. During uh, the final phases of the building, it was quite a bit larger. During the final phases of the construction, um, I got a little more actively involved in the design and the aesthetics of the building. And the completion of the building was uh, just about underway. I was uh, in the building the night before we were to move in, and I was uh, hanging some TVs. And I... I'm I sorry, was hanging some what? Televisions. Oh, on the, t- on the oh wall. TVs. I thought you said TBs. I thought, what's a TB? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. And, and during the process, Becky, I, I had some small inconveniences. Uh, like, uh, I, I thought I had a spider bite on my leg. And the, the suspected spider bite uh, was uh, on my calf, and it would turn red. And I uh, would go to the, the, the family doctor. A family doctor identified... Um, maybe it is a, a brown recluse spider bite. Uh, however, we we know you have MRSA, and it, it got to be at a point where you could literally watch the skin melt away oh and, my gosh. and see uh, skin kind of disappear. And at the time, we really didn't know 
Well, it's from an immune deficiency. The reason why this was all happening, uh, because I had no immune system. So the, the night before we were to open the club up, I uh, started coughing up blood and mm. made a call to Karina and, and said, hey, this is getting a little more serious. I think I should go to the ER. You might be on your own to open up the club and move the equipment in tomorrow. So let me go take care of myself. And I, I think that was one of the first points in my life that I needed to understand how to be selfish. And, and that was a tough one because most of uh, the things that I was trying to accomplish was for my family, uh, our members, everybody but myself. And I, uh, I had too much, um, too much insistence and I felt uh, – that I didn't really want to acknowledge that I was falling apart. Uh, during that visit to the emergency room, uh, there was a lot of uh, blood tests that were performed, and uh, I was exposed to my first experience of having a bone marrow test. And if you haven't had a bone marrow test, it's, um, it's quite the experience. Um, at the time that I had it accomplished, uh, there was a, um, looked like a, a hammer and a chisel, Mm. And they kind of they kind of hammered into your hip and yeah. took a little sample out and give it a test and see how you go. And uh, I, I was given kind of like a a soft diagnosis that we we suspect you have leukemia, but we're not sure. And it it wasn't definitive. Um, I received uh, two pints of blood, and I was in for a couple of days. Didn't really think too much of it. I mean, when you get a blood transfusion for the first time, it's it's kind of all right. We're you know we're getting to a critical level of uh, a five or a six on the the scale of severity. But uh, I I was released, and when I was released, uh, I thought, um, hey, you have the diagnosis wrong. You got the wrong guy. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm I'm back on my invincibility level. I was on top of the world, and I was ready to go. Lo and behold, didn't understand that blood wears out and I wore the blood out again and uh, all of the, the blood cells uh, weren't uh, operating in a, an efficient manner and in and out of the hospital several times for about six months received over 20 pints of blood just to kind of keep going um, lots of different experiments from removal of uh, lymph nodes to uh, getting treated for pneumonia many times, uh, multiple infections, uh, even had a similar experience that you had for um, a breast exam mammogram, and that was a, a fantastic experience <laughs> that I, I don't want to do again. But don't blame you. Yeah. There's, there's an awful lot of learning experience of humility as a uh, as my life were to consist of. And I was really in um, a position where I didn't want to accept uh, any of the information. I, I really thought that I was fine. Um, as there was no definitive diagnosis, we continued on with blood testing. And the uh, oncologist at the time uh, slash hematologist decided to take a, a test that I wasn't really aware of, but he took a test for HIV and I tested positive for HIV. And it was a, it was a very learning experience uh, going through life being uh, positive HIV. And we're going back a few years ago. So over 10 years ago, HIV was a pretty uh, hot topic. And I, I couldn't see how it was possible. Um, how do I test for HIV? And I was torn between a couple decisions of what's better or what's worse. Should I uh, hope for cancer or uh, is HIV the, the, the path of treatment? Uh, they were insistent to uh, start a path of treatment for HIV, but I didn't feel uh, things really didn't seem right. I, I insisted on a an additional test that was a little more definitive. And about 30 days later, we came up with a, a false positive for the HIV. But we wow. were, it was, it was a different place. Yeah, but, I bet. 
Oh my gosh! And, and, and the good part about it, Becky, is um, the, you know there is a happy ending on all of it, but um, we were still in an unknown condition at the time of uh, treatment. Uh, so I was going on for months without treatment, and I believe that there was a um, a comparison test that was done between all of the different blood work throughout the periods of time and seeing how the cells were changing. And they began treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma about six months later. So let me just clarify something. So for 30 days, you believed that you had HIV or that you could possibly have HIV. And then you find out 30 days later that it was a false positive. So you didn't actually have it. That is very true. And uh, it wasn't the fact of maybe I have HIV. It was a definitive test. I had HIV. Um, Unfortunately, due to the fact of having no immune system, it it came up as a false positive. Uh, Okay. Got it. Okay. You know, when you uh, try to examine psychological warfare, that was probably going to the pinnacle. So Mm. uh, a really... uh, good learning experience, but also understanding that in the medical community, um, some tests are not extremely definitive. So I, I want to point that out to a lot of the listeners out there that you may receive some information at some point in time that's not necessarily true. So have some flexibility on the information that you get before you go into a panic. There could possibly be alternatives to the information, but that's why I I wanted to emphasize on our topic today of personal capacity. What are you able to accomplish and what levels of life can you play? How hard can you work to get through these tasks? And a lot of people don't, don't really understand their capability of what they're able to accomplish until they're given a particular task. And, that is so true. And the task of fighting for your life is probably, <laughs> it doesn't happen too often, but when it happens, you're not experienced on how to fight for your life. You know, I'm hearing, I'm hearing another message in here too. You know, you kind of instinctively or intuitively or something new that that diagnosis of HIV wasn't possible. And and so kind of pushing that a little bit. I mean, how often do we hear the news, like you were saying, and, and we accept it, but somewhere in our souls we know something's wrong. And but we don't we don't question it enough to get to a different conclusion. Now, I mean, I know sometimes we get a get a diagnosis of something and we go straight into denial. And so we'll get a second opinion and maybe a third, maybe a fourth. I know a lady we worked with it through Breast Friends that went in for her fifth opinion. And by the time she got her fifth opinion, she hadn't done anything and she waited too long. And unfortunately, she waited too long. Absolutely. Um, but, but on the other hand, if you know that something doesn't feel right, push that envelope at least a little bit um, because you could have a, a different result and it could be a false positive. So there, there are things. So I wanted to just kind of reiterate that a little bit. So um, Bill, did you have any? Well, I think it's, it's great that Ross has been in this situation with the standpoint that he has members in his fitness center who probably walk in there and they have some bad news and uh, and one of the things that he's been able to develop or encourage in other people is that they they start setting some goals to strengthen their bodies to help their immune system out and mm-hmm. to recover from injuries or illnesses. And I think that's that um, you're in a good place, Ross, because of your own personal experience to say, don't give up now. This is when you really dig in and set some high goals for yourself, stretch your um, your imagination on what you can achieve and then work on it. <clears throat> and, and if as people do that, their bodies and their minds become stronger and that helps them overcome their illnesses or at least live a better quality of life of what they have to deal with. Well, absolutely. Point, Bill. Ab- absolutely, Bill. Um, I, recently, I had one of the members come in and a lot of the members um, understand the experiences that we've all gone through. Ross, in our are, you, are you moving papers around? I I am. You know that. Stop. <laughs> It sounds like our dog Swayze scratching himself. <laughs> well, recently I had a member come in that was uh, concerned about a, uh, a blood test that came back 
and she got herself into a panic. Uh, she thought for sure she had cancer. And one of the things I had to request is to pause for a minute and gather your thoughts. Even if you were to have a positive test for cancer, there's really nothing that you can do about it. Um, if it were real, if, it, if it's absolutely real and you're tested positive for cancer, there's really nothing that you can do except control yourself and come up with a really nice plan to live a comfortable life and go through the necessary steps for treatment. So the first request I asked was to take a moment and just relax and digest the information, but don't go into a panic. She took the information and a week later she came back into the gym and she's a resident of Canada that uh, comes down to Fountain Hills uh, frequently, went back to Toronto, received the test as a negative, and came back and had a nice uh, hug and a thank you uh, for the information I tried to help her out with. So it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everybody's going to have a negative result, but if you do have a positive result, there's not a lot that you can do about it. I mean, you could go see three or four or five different uh doctors about it. You may have to accept the result, but you still have to live a life. And this is what I try to emphasize in, in the book, that you have to have a personal plan. And your own personal plan is something I, uh, I, I, I practiced on myself. How do you live your life on your terms if you were to have cancer? How do you design this? How do you how do you make yourself comfortable? How do you live a life? Is work important for you at the moment? Is your family important for you at the moment? What is the most important thing? And if you don't understand it, you should probably consider the most important thing at that time is you. Mm-hmm. And, and the only successful way that you're going to get through tr- cancer treatment is to focus on you. Yeah. You know, Ross, what what you're talking about reminds me of one of our guests that we had on the radio show some time back. His name is Liam Ryan. He's from Ireland. And he was diagnosed with this horrific tumor that had entered his skull, his face, and had wrapped itself around his brainstem. I mean, it was basically by the time they figured it all out, they gave him a month to live. And it took a month to pull together a team that would help him. And he didn't know if he would even have the surgery in time because it it was such an impossible surgery. But once he found a team that was willing to help him, he made a decision, kind of like what you're saying right now, that the best thing he could do is present the best, strongest patient possible on on the gurney when they wheeled him into surgery so that he had the best chance of survival and they had the best chance of success. And by presenting the best you know, version of himself at that time, he would improve his odds. And so he started running again. He'd been a runner, marathon runner. He couldn't run like he did with this huge tumor in his face, but he um, was able to at least walk some distances and, and did some running. But before his surgery happened, he was running quite a lot. And that was 16 years ago. Wow. So the surgery was, he did lose part of his face. He lost an eye, um, but he he's alive and well and still married to the same beautiful woman. And, and he's has, out inspiring thousands of people yeah. with his personal yeah. uh, story. So and it's, so it's all about being the best you can be and presenting that best patient for, for the treatment, you know? So anyway, I, I got goosebumps as you were talking because I remembered his story and he gave me goosebumps too. So um, sure. Anyway, it's it's pretty pretty amazing, and what you're saying, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you on that. So, um, you know, let's if we could move on a little bit um, after you completed treatment. And so, what was what was your treatment? What did they what did they do for you? Well, I went through this fantastic treatment called Chop R, which is a series of different forms of chemotherapy, a lot of different um, bags of stuff with great fluorescent colors that they, uh, that they will infuse into your body 
Um, there might be some, uh, this is a really good learning lesson. There might be some listeners out there don't, that don't understand what chemotherapy is. And I didn't know what chemotherapy was. I understood what the word was, but the actual treatment was a, an eye opener for me. Um, in my case, chemotherapy wasn't just, a, uh, an injection. It was an infusion, mm -hmm. uh, meaning there was several bags of fluid that would be uh, administered into your body. And in my case, there was uh, five different bags of fluid. And some of the bags that were as large as like a one gallon Ziploc bag. And some of it was bright red. Some of it was bright yellow. And um, I don't know, Becky, if you've ever experienced this, but... Um, going to the bathroom the next day really resembled some of the colors of the. <laughs> yes, I did. I only, I only had red, but yeah, they were, you know, it's not blood. Don't, don't panic. But. Right, right. Exactly. And uh, some of you that don't have this uh, understanding yet, don't panic because it, it is normal. And um, this is the process that you'll uh, experience if you haven't experienced it already. Right, but, uh, right. My first uh, infusion was in uh, in the hospital. I was uh, suffering from pneumonia, and I remember it happened oh midnight at night. And uh, the nurse, there was a a trained nurse that was only uh, uh, trained to administer uh, chemotherapy drugs, and uh, I, I I was doped up out of my mind. It wasn't it wasn't the greatest state of mind that I could have been in, but I do remember. Um, it wasn't a pleasant experience in the middle of the night receiving the different bags of chemotherapy. So uh, my experience of chemo is very much different than most people. Most of the infusions I had was in the hospital because I was in such a poor condition. But uh, it worked. It was great. I was very hopeful on it. And I understood that um, I had more things that I needed to do on this planet before I left. What well, can I relate to that? <laughs> I really can. It's yeah. so important for you to have a, a focus in your personal plan to understand that there's more to chemotherapy and what's necessary to get to the end result. And you should only have one focus at the end is success. There's going to be obstacles that are going to come along the way. Um, uh, being uh, a cancer patient, it's extremely organic. You're going to have a lot of different variables that are going to be involved with your day-to-day -day basis. How, how are your 23 hours a day going to be utilized? I mean, if you have treatment for an hour a day, how do you occupy the other 23 hours and make them as fantastic as you possibly can? Yeah. That's a good point, That's a and, it's, and it's a good question, too. How do you do that? Um, Ross, I'm going to let you know something. We are going to skip the second break because we have a lot more to talk about, and we only have about 15 minutes left. So, sure. um, so we're going to just kind of skip around a little bit, I think. But um, I want to find out what you, you put something on, on here that was intriguing to me, and that was during the waiting period. What happened to you? Is that something we've already discussed? Because I don't know. We we did talk most about the waiting period of being okay. undiagnosed. And uh, okay. most of it was in and out of the hospital. And we talked about the HIV positive testing. But okay. um, but Becky, I, I think you, you could share on this. And I'll touch on it just a little bit. The, um, the pride of my life that I had at the moment. And I... I interact with an awful lot of uh, my uh, customers that you sometimes have um, an embarrassment of being diagnosed with uh, an illness. Mm -hmm. And I want to share with uh, the listeners that um, I was probably on the highest list of a person that wanted to uh, have no disclosure to anybody that I was sick. I was invincible and I really, I was humiliated that I failed myself. I, I think it's important for other people and I have a, uh, a 
friend of mine that's an accountant and he just refuses to share the information with other people. May it be positive or negative, but I think it's important to have some sort of transparency with your community and own own your own your illness. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a difficult um, recommendation, but if you if you have cancer, explain it to other people. Mm-hmm. It, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Well, you know, you're, I, I imagine in your situation, I mean, here you are, this fitness guy, bodybuilder. To, you took care of your, your, your physical self your whole life probably, and you've got this family and everybody's into this fitness thing, and then boom, you get cancer. How is that even possible? And a lot of people think that as long as you take care of yourselves, you'll know you, you, these things won't happen to you. But I think about that TV show, The Biggest Loser, and there was Bob the trainer who ended mm-hmm. up having a heart attack. Exactly. I mean, what's that about? You know. So you're right. I mean, there is probably an embarrassment that goes with it. But, but yeah, you have to own it. So why don't you talk about owning it for a minute? What What does that mean to you? Well, it means that. Uh, the stress that you put on yourself by containing that information, uh, if you really think about that, the internal stress that you're putting on yourself doesn't help you out to fight the illness. You're making, um, you're wasting positive energy that you can use to defeat the cancer cells itself. So you have to have a clear mind and you really have to have all of your focus on, on yourself. You're in a battle, you're in a fight. And this is, the, the biggest fight that you're ever going to be able involved in in your entire life. And you don't know how to do this. No one else has experienced exactly what you're going through. There isn't two cancer patients that have experienced the same exact thing. There's no scenario. The odds of survival aren't the same. They don't reflect on who you are. So why put any energy into negative thoughts while you're going through treatment? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. But we do, you know, we, we try to find a reason that we got it. And we oftentimes blame ourselves because we carry a little extra weight or we don't run enough or, uh, you know, just who knows what what it is. But it's easy to get ourselves into that negative place. So what do you do? I mean, I'm sure you were in a negative place at times. How did you, when you were in the midst of a negative place, and we talk about this quite a lot on this show because it's really easy to get into that place where you don't want to do anything. And one of my solutions when I get there is I go take a shower. <laughs> it's <just> like <laughs> I get myself up off the couch, stop watching mindless television, stop feeling sorry for myself, and just go take a shower because, well, first off, my husband will appreciate that very much, and but it, it changes it changes the direction for a moment, you know, and it's a it's an, a positive action. So for me, it's about taking a positive action. And so then that leads to the next positive action. I actually get dressed. And then my next one is I might put my shoes on and then maybe I'll take my dog for a walk. Well, so- I think some listeners probably know one of the things she does is pick up a paintbrush <laughs> and paint walls. You know, I mean, Not top, murals, top, just, just- top to bottom, <laughs> up and down ladders, and yeah. all of a sudden... The colors around her life change for brighter we colors. Just, we just moved into a two-bedroom yeah. apartment, and so, they said I could paint an accent wall, so I did. But, also, <laughs> but in other words, she, uh, and and I think what I hear, Ross might jump on a, a, a cycle and start riding 20 miles, but That's probably your healthier. paintbrush probably travels 40 miles that same day. <laughs> and uh, I it's, it's great what you both are saying is to set some goals for yourself, to keep moving forward, and that positive energy is going to fill your day. It is. And, and I, I'll reflect on this. Um, if you have a personal plan from the beginning and you understand the things that you need to accomplish, um, you have to identify what does your day consist of? What are your what are your 24 hours a day uh, encapsulate? And what are the good things that you normally do during your life? And how can you do those without forgetting about those? Mm -hmm. You may not have the energy to do all of them. You may not have the energy or the desire to do anything, but maybe lay on the couch or lay in bed. And it depends on what part of your back is hurting. I mean, I I move around from three different beds in my house, depending on the feeling that I'm at for the moment. 
And if you have a personal plan and you identify what you really want to accomplish and you have goals, the, the process in the treatment of cancer can be so much more significant. I like that. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's good. It's really good. And, um, and for us, Becky, um, I, I thought, and I, I, I included in our personal plan for all three of us, that we had to have family time. We, we had to have um, uh, uh, togetherness every single day. Um, when, when the patient was in uh, a, a bad mood or a sad mood, uh, we wouldn't overlook it. We would talk about it collectively as a family and, and understand that the only way to get through this is to have support and love. And, mm-hmm. and that was uh, some of the great po- portions and the takeaways that we've gotten from our treatments. You know, let me ask you something before we run out of time. And I do want to get to your book here. So this has to be kind of the quick version. Um, so you have one son. So of the four of you, one of you has not battled cancer. And, and that's Dominic, right? And how, how old is Dominic now? Dominic is 22 years old. 22. And, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll make a nice announcement. Dominic has recently uh, asked his girlfriend to get yeah. married. Aww. So he proposed to Lauren um, about a week ago. Aww. So he's uh, he's going into the next step of life, which is great. But um, during um, all of our treatments, Dominic was a he was a lone wolf. He was a, he was a different type of guy. He uh, he he found a uh, an avenue to I believe protect himself, and he started writing uh, writing. Uh, bicycles and he started getting competitive in riding bicycles first off as a mountain bike rider and then on a uh, road races and then gravitated to a track in which uh, he rode uh, on a velodrome which is like an oval track that you see on olympic competitions okay and during all of our treatments um he became a national champion and traveled the world so that was his way of um, coping with what we went through. And so does he ever comment on, I mean, you know, some people talk about survivor's guilt. Does he ever experience that where, how come my family got all this, but I never did? Has he ever gone through that stage? No. And we, we talk about that very frequent. As, as a matter of fact, uh, this past Sunday, we had a talk about this. Um, he doesn't share survivor's guilt I think what uh, we've all understood is what the universe gave us is what the universe gave us. But what's the takeaway from each one of our uh, scenarios? And I think Dominic has taken the positive out of each one of them to make his life better. And it's been a, it's been a fantastic experience. Good. Well, I, I don't want to run out of time without talking about your book. So let's switch gears and talk about that because I know that all of your family story is in your book. And honestly, Ross, this has been such a great conversation. When your book is ready to be released, I'd like to have you back on the show. Absolutely. And, and we'll talk about it some more. And, and then it'll be out and people can order it. And right now it's still in the completion. Are you getting it, the final, whatever you have to do? I know because I went through that stage as well. So sure. you kind of get that going. But um, So let's talk about the book. And it is titled cancer it's not a death sentence and the reason i wanted to make sure we we discuss that is because that is a very controversial statement and i i know that um i used to say when i when i would be when i'd speak in an audience at, toward the end of my speech i would kind of close with a very similar thought i would say breast cancer isn't necessarily a death sentence and i remember one time on my third diagnosis this was the first time it was ever labeled metastatic we had a pharmaceutical rep that came into our office, and she knew I'd just been diagnosed for the third time. And she made that same comment that breast cancer wasn't, you know, the good news about cancer is it's not necessarily a death sentence anymore. And I remember the hair on the back of my neck kind of going up, and and I just felt really almost outraged that she said that. But then I, I calmed myself down, and I, and I, but I withdrew from the conversation at that point. And I remember sitting there saying, Lord, what am I supposed to be learning from this moment? And what I was supposed to learn from that moment is I had to change the close of my speech. And I couldn't say that because if somebody 
in the audience had just been diagnosed with cancer or excuse me, they're, they're, they just lost their mother or somebody close to them, or they'd just been diagnosed with, with metastatic cancer and they're now fighting for their lives, that sentence is going to not go over well. And everything that I said before that will, will lose its credibility So for me. So I needed to find a different way to end my speeches, so I did, and I worked on that. But when I asked you about that ahead of time, you pointed to page 43 of your book, and you asked me to go read that. So I did, and I love your approach. Uh, You need to give me the literally one-minute version of that. So give me the one-minute version of what you mean by by that on page 43. Sure. I want to emphasize to all the listeners that uh, the the topic of cancer is not a death sentence. I chose that because I thought it was a compelling uh, topic to give people hope that what you may be going through is not necessarily the path of death. And uh, years ago, uh, the stigma of cancer uh, is changing uh, every every year. But when you hear the word cancer, it's always associated with death. Yes. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's you. Right. St- statistics don't apply to you. You're an individual mm-hmm. and you ha- and you have a lot of contribution to the outcome of what the results are going to be. So the uh, the importance of the topic is to give you hope to have you understand that death is not the most important part of the of the cancer word and perhaps eliminate that word. Yeah, and what I kind of got out of it when I read it is it's not necessarily the destination, it's the journey. And so fight the journey as if you're going to live and as if you're going to survive. And some people still sadly will not. Um, but if you give up too early, your body will tell you when it's time to stop. And don't don't give up mentally before it's time. We are out of time, speaking of time. So I'm going to have to let you go. But before we do, I want to thank you so much. And Ross, if yeah, someone wanted you, to reach you, how would they do it? Very fast. <laughs> sure. Uh, we have a website of cancer. It's not a death sentence.com. Okay. Take a look at it. Join our, uh, our list of information and we will uh, get you part of our list. The release date of uh, the book Cancer is Not a Death Sentence will be available in September and we'll okay. be starting in two weeks pre-sale on Amazon. So we'd love to have everybody get uh, get in on that pre-sale so we could... We're out of time, uh, Ross. I got to cut you off. <laughs> thank you, Becky. <laughs> love you, man. Love your story. Um, awesome. We'll back. So, so anyway, everybody, we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there's always hope and we are here to help you find it. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.